Hi, I'm Jennifer Gassage. And my name is Mateusz Benko. This is the Let's Talk Ecosystems podcast. From activists to entrepreneurs, leaders to practitioners, we will learn how young people are making a positive change for our planet. In this series, we talk with changemakers who are taking action to restore and protect nature as we move forward in the United Nations decade for ecosystem restoration. Well, Mateusz, I have a question for you. Can you tell me how many million tons of plastic end up in the ocean each year? Probably a very difficult question, and the, the number is also equally big. Uh, I really don't have a clue. Okay, I'll give you a hint. Please. Five mil- million, seven million, or eight million? I would probably go for the biggest number, eight million. That's spot on. Well done. Eight million of tons of plastic end up in the ocean each year. That's equivalent to a full garbage truck dumped into the sea every minute. Microplastics, microbeads, and single-use plastics are poisoning sea life and affecting humans. Today, we're really excited to talk about this issue with our friend and colleague, Lefteris Arapakis. Lefteris is the director and co-founder of Enalia. He is also a UNEP Young Champion of the Earth in Europe. So we're so happy to have you here with us today, Lefteris. It's a pleasure to be invited and and be here, Jennifer, and thank you so much for the introduction. Well, maybe you could give us a little background on who you are, what Enalia does, and how you got into this. Yeah, definitely. So I was born and raised at the port of Piraeus in in Greece. Uh, I studied the economics and management in the University of uh, Athens. And I'm also coming from a long line of uh, fishermen. And during the Greek economic crisis, especially at the peak of the crisis, when we had capital controls uh, in the banks, I wanted to create an initiative, uh, not so much with an environmental aspect back then, but mainly to create jobs, because unemployment had skyrocketed at 29%. So one day I was just discussing with my father, and he was complaining, I think that's a typical fisherman behavior, that uh, they couldn't find enough personnel for the fishing boats. So I told that to a friend, and we said, you know what? We will make the first school for fishing in Greece, and this is how we'll create the jobs. So this is how Analia started. Then over the years, we have uh, scaled our operations. We have uh, created hundreds of jobs in Greece. We have trained hundreds. Uh, of fishers to fish sustainably by earning more money while fishing less with techniques such as fishing tourism. But also, we have trained thousands of fishers in the Mediterranean Sea, the Indian Ocean, to fish for plastic. That's something that I had never, ever imagined, like five years ago. I wonder, Lefteris, did you go out to the sea with your father when you were a kid? Actually, that's a great question, and I am ashamed to say that the answer is no. <laughs> I didn't like fishing, honestly. I, 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 yeah, I felt really sorry for the fish, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think even today I'm probably the worst fisherman in Greece. I would one. I would argue the opposite, probably. Yeah, I'm terrible with that, and I'm not a big fan of fishing in general. So. 
no, I was not going to the sea. But when I turned 18, I was kind of forced to work at the fish market here. So I was uh, starting uh, work at midnight. Uh, and then in the morning, I was going to the university. So I got this experience from the outside. But in the sea, no, I was just enjoying living next to the sea water. Actually, it's interesting that you say, so you didn't really enjoy going out to sea, but now you are training trawler captains and engineers to sustainably fish or to fish plastics out of the sea. Can you explain a little bit about what what this is about? Yeah. um, Honestly, a few years ago, I had kind of a breakthrough experience, an experience that really uh, forced me to actually working in the environmental uh, sector. So, as I told you, I had no idea about fishing. So, we were creating the curriculum of a fishing school. So, that's a paradox. So, in order to get some understanding of that, I went for fishing with various fishing boats. And um, in our first trips, we were in these um, magical Greek islands of Cyprus in the middle of the Aegean Sea. And on that trip, I was really shocked to see that the fishermen were collecting with their nets not only fish, but also plastic. A lot of it. And I still remember, like, we got this, this soda drink that uh, it had expired in 1987. It was like 30 years in the sea. And, and I was holding that in my hand, and then the fisherman took it and threw it back in the sea. And he told me, you know, marine litter is not our problem. And then we collected so much plastic from the sea just with fishing. And then they were just throwing it back. And then I decided that we needed to take action because I knew about marine plastic in the oceans and the sea. But when I saw it with my own eyes, when I experienced that, I'm like, there's no use getting there more fish than if we don't do something about it. Lestris, tell us, please, what are the items which you collect from the sea? I know that on the beach mostly found item is the cigarette butts, but what about the sea itself? Actually, that's a great question. Regarding items, we collect a lot of plastic bottles, but in terms of weight, percentage of weight, is not so much. It's around 2 to 5%. So the most common plastic item that we find in the sea is uh, fishing gear. That's uh, made of plastic, most of the time nylon plastic, and it's uh, around 20% of the total marine plastic uh, we collect. So it's the, the highest volume and the highest quantity. It's really good quality of plastic. It takes six centuries to break down to microplastics. And for all of this period of time, it keeps on fishing. So when we fish it out, uh, usually it's full of skeletons uh, from uh, fish, turtles, dolphins. So this is why it's called uh, ghost gear. So that's the most common plastic we find in the sea, both in the Mediterranean Sea and the Indian Ocean. And the second most common is uh, plastic bags. We collect a lot of them. I was wondering, Lefteris, could you tell us a little bit about what the connection is between plastic in the sea and marine life? What is the effect Mm. that this plastic is having on marine life that you know of? Yeah, thank you, Jennifer, for the question. And to simplify that, the reason we have a problem with the plastic and not with metal or glass uh, or aluminium that we also find in the sea is that, first of all, plastic is a lot, like a lot from the marine litter we collect 
around 80 to 85 percent is plastic. So it's the vast majority of the marine litter in the oceans. It's around 15 percent, 10, 15 percent metal and very small quantities of glass and aluminium. So a lot of plastic. The second reason is that uh, plastic is breaking down into microplastic. So this microplastic is then entering the food chain. Fish are eating that, marine mammals are eating that. So then it's coming to us, creating huge health problems. But actually, there are many, many studies in the last years that actually connect ocean plastic with uh, climate change. So currently, plastic, and especially microplastic, is uh, the major threat for whales and um, plankton. And whales and plankton are currently responsible for 50% of the oxygen that we are breathing. So unfortunately, plastic is contributing to climate change. So the problem is clear, but are you having any difficulties getting everybody on board to remove plastics from the ocean? Tell us a little bit about the challenges that you've faced. Yeah, as you can imagine, it hasn't been easy convincing uh, fishers to fish for plastic. You know, there are these macho men, you know, like uh, very proud men usually, and not so many women, unfortunately, the things sector. Uh, the first reaction they had when we started was like, what, we are going now to become the, you know, the garbage collectors of the seas and the oceans? No, 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 thank you. So I convinced them with uh, a very specific technique. So thanks to the network of my family, I was able to approach them as one of them. And then I didn't care in, in getting all the fishermen on track. I was focusing on something called the, the tipping point. So when you get uh, enough early adapters in the activity and when you get the local respectful, respected uh, decision makers, then the others are going to follow. So usually that limit is around 16%. So I was trying to find out who are the eco-friendly fishermen of that port and who are the decision makers, the influencers on that port. And I was trying to convince them. And then these people would convince the rest. Sometimes, when I couldn't convince these people, uh, I tried to engage the local community. So I was going to the local market or the coffee places that uh, were run uh, by uh, the relatives of the fishermen, mainly the wives or the daughters. And then I would explain what we are doing in an area, like we are working with fishing communities to fish for plastic and then integrate it to the circular economy to make new products. And they love the idea. And then usually they would ask me, is my husband already the project? And I'm like, he's considering that. And then always it was the same question. Tomorrow he will not be considering anymore. And then they would join the project. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, we also know that you have some uh, theater experience. Would you say that that skill also help you in building up that startup? Well, Actually, yes. And I would never expect that theater would ever help me uh, professionally. So first of all, it, it helped me in uh, working as part of a team. You know, when you're on stage and uh, your colleague is making a mistake, uh, you need to cover it up. You know, you're not going to blame him or her in the middle of the show. Then you need to improvise and be... Uh, <laughs> 
very fast in problem solving, thing that happens a lot uh, in the field. But I think the main push that the theater gave to me is that I was able to translate uh, complex environmental ideas such as uh, marine plastic pollution uh, to simple language. And uh, I often find that uh, there's a gap between the scientific community and uh, uh, the broad audience. Like, uh, we cannot really understand what the scientists are saying, you know? You've been to these high-level events, and sometimes it's kind of boring because you cannot understand what they are saying. So I, I really think that art, and in this case, uh, theater and acting, really helps to translate that message and pass it to a broader audience in terms they can understand. Well, um, Lefinis, considering your vast acting experience, could you tell me how that has helped you on the international stage and how you've engaged young people in your efforts? Oh, that's a, that's a nice question. Well, to be, to be to be honest, my acting experience is not so vast. I'm acting a lot of years, but uh, in an amateur level. So, I don't know, I think it helped me to uh, just connect with people in a very human level, like to be really able to, to bond with them and create a, a vision together and then start uh, acting <laughs> upon that. So... Translating something that is vague into something that is concrete and then creating a team that is passionate about it and goes for it and has a, a specific message they communicate. So I think it really helped me there. And it helped me a lot, honestly, in uh, events when I had to speak. Like uh, I was able to you know, draft my, my speeches and learn them. So I was trying not to kill people by PowerPoint. You know, so... Uh, I, I think that in that way, I was able to get the message across and people could understand what I was saying. You mentioned before that it's hard to uh, transmit the complex messages. You're definitely aware that international legally binding agreement on plastic uh, should be developed by 2024. Are you part of, of this process at all? Yes, we are participating. Of course, we have a very limited role. <laughs> But we are one of the solutions that have been showcased as uh, as something that can be an effective uh, local initiative for plastic pollution. Because it's something that has been implemented in Greece, in Italy, in Cyprus, and in Kenya. And it seems to be working. So yeah, we participate in that way at the UNEA agreement. We push uh, the Greek government to start uh, implementing what uh, they have uh, promised. And honestly, if or actually when that goes through, I'm optimistic that uh, maybe, maybe we will be able to, you know, fight this plastic pollution at a scale. Lefteris, I was looking at your website and I've noticed that you do some work with uh, re sort of upscaling plastics, I believe. Could you tell me the connection between socks? And plastics that you, the fishermen, pull out of the ocean? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I had no idea who would end up uh, making products from plastic that was like, I don't know, 200 meters deep in the sea. So 
We started collecting plastic, okay, at, at a huge scale. Currently, we're collecting like two trucks full of plastic from the sea daily. Uh, so that's a lot of plastic. But then we had the question, uh, what are we doing with that? You know, so the easy solution would be just to, you know, send it to the landfill. But I, I wanted to, you know, make sure this plastic will not end up in the sea again. So I started talking with people to see what we can do about it. So we found certified recycling companies, uh, usually local ones, that they were able to, to manage the waste, store the waste. And then we found uh, upcycling companies that were able to create products out of that plastic. So we started sending the plastic bottles to Madrid. We started uh, sending uh, fishing nets uh, to Healthy Seas, an environmental NGO from the Netherlands. We started uh, sending mixed plastics to Gravity Wave, a startup uh, in Spain. And, and suddenly, 70% of the plastic that we are collecting is turning to new products, such as uh, socks or shoes or even skateboards. So uh, we give many of these products back to the fishing communities and they are so happy you know, to show it to their families and friends and see and, and say, you know, you know, do you see that? Do you see that skateboard? You know, I collected the plastic from the sea here to make that. So it's just a, a circular economy solution. Excellent. Do you have any short-term project that you want to share with us? Anything that uh, you are really excited about? We're very, very, very excited that uh, we are partnering with companies from the U.S., and uh, local organizations from Kenya, such as uh, the Quality Recycling Center. And uh, we are about to launch one of the biggest uh, Africa plastic cleanups ever. So thanks to that, uh, actually, synergy, we'll be able to collect more than 100 tons of ocean plastic from the Indian Ocean every month. So that's going to generate a significant uh, revenue for the local fishing communities for more than 800 of them. And this plastic then is going to be turned into new products, such as uh, building blocks. So we'll be able also to build houses for the local community. So we are very excited to create a business model that is scaling a plastic cleanup in a way that we create a win-win synergy between the local human societies and nature. And in that way, you know, ensuring that the sea is going to be plastic-free and the fishing communities, they earn a decent income from that. What about the future? How do you see the next decade, now that we're in the UN Decade on Ecosystem Restoration? What are your hopes and what is your vision of the future, at least for the next decade? Well, my vision for the future is that I will be out of job in the next 10 years, honestly. Uh, I would love that uh, the UN decade of restoration is successful and there's no more plastic in the oceans and I'm optimistic we can do that. Uh, so yeah, that's my, that's my vision for the future and in the midterm, in the next three to five years, uh, I would love to, to replicate our model in, in more fishing communities around the globe, specifically Southeast Asia and also in more Mediterranean countries. And in that way, we can motivate the fishers to fish plastic, but also what I said in the beginning that 20% of the pollution is fishing gear. We can prevent this plastic from entering the ocean at the first place. 
So we can have a significant impact in the oceans and by advocating to reduce the plastic production, hopefully uh, I'll be out of job on the plastic collection and then we'll focus on the education part. That's the excellent uh, response to that question, I would say, to be unemployed within 10 years, indeed. Yeah. Jennifer, do you have any other questions or we'll be ready to, to say goodbye to our guest today? Could you tell me some of the key messages you give or you deliver to young climate actors or young people engaged in climate change action and also ecosystem restoration? What are your key messages? That's, that's a nice question. So my, my first and main message is that, first of all, they need to take care of themselves. So you cannot help others or the, or the environment if you don't take care of yourself first. So if you spend sleepless nights, if your mental health is not there because you are worrying too much or if you are working too much, you're not going to contribute positively to the environment. So my, my first, my first uh, advice is that, speaking from my own experience, when I'm overworked, I'm useless. My second is that solve uh, an environmental challenge that, I don't know, is, is really bothering you. You know, like, I had no idea I would be cleaning plastic from the sea like uh, 10 years ago. But when I, I, when I saw that, when, when I saw the people from my community collecting so much plastic and then just throwing it back, I'm like, no, this is for me. I'll do it. It just spoke to me. And I had just so much passion inside me that it didn't matter that I didn't have resources. I didn't have uh, the time or, or the money or the network. It didn't matter. I just had this passion inside me and I, I could just inspire other people. And I didn't inspire 2,000 fishers in the beginning. I started with two, my father and a friend of his. And we started with two and step by step, by focusing on what we can change and not by having negative thoughts about what we cannot change, like the government's policy, would say, we're able to now indirectly influence also the government's policy in a way. So, yeah, the second would be focus on starting local, focus on the things you can change, and then you'll start uh, realizing that the things you can change grow month after month. And focus on uh, an environmental challenge that is really bothering you. So if you have these three principles, taking care of yourself, starting local, and uh, finding something that really makes you passionate, I think you can make a great impact in the world and the environment. What are the ways of collecting the, the, the litter by the fishermen? Are they doing it by the fisher, fish road? I don't think so. So how do they actually do it? Yeah, that's actually a great question. In the Mediterranean, the vast majority of the plastic is collected by fishing. So plastic is kind of a bycatch that they just, you know, discard, used to discard. So they're just literally fishing for plastic by accident. And we convince them to bring this plastic back. Simple as that, honestly. And because it's so simple, we can just replicate it in any place there's a fishing community. So that's the main activity. In Kenya, though, they don't use fishing nets so much. So we cannot implement it in a large scale. So we have a different model there. So they have these uh, canoes. So we have a deal with them and uh, we tell them, okay, you're not going to go catching fish the next days or weeks. And instead of that, we will pay you to go and collect plastic from the ocean. 
So they go usually to remote parts of the coastline or uh, reefs, and they collect by hand plastic. And then they bring it back to the local recycling factory, and then they get paid per kilo for that. So these are the techniques that uh, we are currently using to collect plastic. Can you tell us a bit more about the financial aspect of uh, fishing for litter? So we have two separate models, one for the Mediterranean and one for Kenya. So in the Mediterranean, the plastic that uh, the fishing communities are collecting is a bycatch. Uh, so that means they get uh, an extra fee per kilo or per pound that they are collecting every month. So that's like... Uh, around $10 to $50 per, per fisherman per month. So it's a nice extra extra bonus for them to, to just you know keep on doing that. Uh, we made actually an experiment. We started on a volunteering basis, and then we gave like a little, a little bonus like that. And then they started collecting seven times more plastic than before. So it worked out. So does it actually mean that they can get more money out of collecting the, the litter than fishing itself? In the Mediterranean, no. But in Kenya, that's the second model we have, yes. So in Kenya, before launching our project, uh, we worked with local partners to find out how much uh, the, the fishers were earning on a regular day. And then when we approached them, we offered to pay them more if they didn't go for fishing on that day, but they took their canoes and uh, went to, you know, to a reef or a remote part of the coastline to collect plastic. Uh, so in Kenya, they are more as marine litter collectors rather than fishers. And what is the connection between collecting plastics and marine conservation? If you are encouraging fishermen to, or fisher folk to remove plastics, is there also benefit to protecting the reefs? Actually, yes, in, uh, in a dual sense. So the first one is we try to eliminate the fishing pressure, which is how much the communities are fishing around the, the reefs. And we try to, to implement this kind of fishing, fishing for plastic activities in the months that the fish are producing. So in this period of time, we try to get uh, the, the kayaks from fishing for fish and make them fish for plastic. So uh, the local fish population can reproduce much faster. So that's the one side of it. And the other side is that actually currently marine plastic, it's a major threat to marine life, including reefs, including uh, fish, including uh, human nature. So by eradicating that, we, we allow these reefs to, to breathe better and, and to breathe uh, plastic free, actually. And it's an interesting question. This is what we try also to communicate to, to the fishers that we are interconnected with nature. When fish stocks are going down, uh, when the sea is polluted, in the end, it's us, the human societies, that we are going to have the challenge. Like the Earth is going to survive with five more degrees, you know. Uh, the Earth is going to survive with uh, plastic full seas and oceans. We are not going to make it. And the other living organization. And surprisingly enough, most of the more most of the fishers are aware of that because they spend most of their life in the sea. They just don't know how to act on that in a way that is not uh, reducing 
the income. So you need to find the ways that increases the income of the fisher folks and also creates a strong environmental impact. And this is what we're trying to do. As a co-founder of your company, Analia, how do you finance this initiative? How do you pay these fishermen? And how will you fund the upscaling of this huge project on an international scale? That's actually a great question. Uh, we try to not depend on one revenue stream, but uh, rather create uh, multiple revenue streams to minimize the risk. So around a third of our revenue comes from sponsorships and uh, donations from uh, philanthropic foundations, uh, especially in the Mediterranean. So that's an important part of our revenue. Uh, another important part of our revenue, almost the same, comes from uh, startups or fashion companies that are using uh, the plastic that we're collecting from the sea to create products. So that's also an important part. And the third one is the model we are actually implementing in Kenya. Because Kenya doesn't have uh, sponsors or, or donors that would be interested to finance you know, an initiative from Greece to go there and clean Kenya. So in Kenya, we try to create a completely different business model. So that business model is actually super brand new and uh, it's called uh, Plus Credit. So with that model, we actually use very strict certification process to make sure that all the plastic comes from the ocean, the plastic is recycled, and that everybody that's participating in the cleanups that are uh, of legal age. So are very strict certifications that we are are undergoing in Kenya for that. So once we pass these certifications, we can certify the plastic we collect, and then we can give it as a service. So let's say clean up as a service to various companies that are interested uh, and to do it at scale. So to scale it up, I think we'll focus mainly on working with more companies that want to use our plastic and to make sustainable products. And also with more companies that are interested in uh, a cleanup assets uh, search model. So yeah, uh, and it's a fun fact that when we started our project, we started in Greece, economic crisis, capital controls, no funding available, banks, investors, uh, sponsors, foundations, nobody was there. So we got some grants from local, you know, startup competitions, and <laughs> and this is how we started. And I had to become bankrupt three times <laughs> before Nali actually took off. But that's the point, you know, when, when, when you're young and you're starting an initiative, you, you don't really care about it. Like, I didn't have a, a house loan, didn't have a car, you know, a very low rent. So I, I could afford being bankrupt, actually. And I honestly believe that uh, we're doing something uh, really valuable. So I'm like, yeah, I don't care. I, I'm going to keep on running that. And I know this is good. And I know that this is going to take off at the point. And, and it did. So, yeah, this is how we are running the organization. Could you give me an example of one of your most successful products that have been upscaled from fishing gear or plastics that you've taken out of the ocean? Well... Honestly, we are not selling the products ourselves. We are working with the companies that are making the products and they are much better than us selling them. But I would say uh, the initiative I'm most proud of, it was like three years ago, I think, and I was in Madrid, in Spain. And after an event, uh, we're having beer with some startups. 
And then there's this startup and then this guy in Yulen and he tells me, hey, we are actually making some phone cases out of plastic. And I'm like, would you like to try with ocean plastic? And he's like, oh, that's a nice idea. So they started that. And, and now they're running this super huge uh, startup in, in Spain, Wave, where they, you know, upcycle fishing nets and ocean plastic, and they make uh, skateboards, and they make tables, and they make uh, benches. And yeah, so I'm so, so, so proud of these guys. That, you know, they just turned it around. It was just over, you know, a random idea, the conversation. So yeah, I, th- I think that's one. Beautiful. Uh, last words, Nefris. For those who want to get involved into your project, how can they do it? Oh, that's great. The, they can definitely contact us in social media. We are very open to discussion. And we are always looking for uh, local partners in various countries that would like to work with us and replicate our model in their country. So if you are from a country that you have a severe ocean plastic pollution challenge, uh, if you also have fishing communities there, we want to work with you. So just send us a message and we'll organize a call and then we can take it from there. Well, Lefteves, it was so wonderful speaking with you today. We will definitely make our best effort to think about what we can do to make a change and take action. No matter how small those steps are, we have to take the first step. So I love those empowering words. Very, very inspirational. Also, our listeners, I'm sure they've appreciated all the advice you've given, especially about resting a little bit and not overdoing it. I think that's a, that was wonderful advice as well. So focusing, but also looking after yourself. That was, Those were very powerful words. So thank you for that. Listeners, stay tuned for next week's episode. Don't forget to review us as well as talk about us on social media using our hashtag Generation Restoration. Thank you very much, Lefters. Bye-bye. Yes. Thank you very much. Have a nice day. Thank you, Lefteres. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by the United Nations Environment Programme Europe Office and the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations. 